0: great is his faithfulness amen that was beautiful Uh, this morning is the last of our summer series we're heading into a new series in the coming weeks here Uh, and next week uh, we're going to be kicking off a little bit of what it means for us to understand the word and as pastor dustin has been just talking a little bit about it to me and what he's planning on sharing and the direction we're going in this i'm getting excited about the places that god's going to lead us in this next year in this next season, but as we as we wrap up our summer series today, uh, we've been looking at how we are set free from our sin to live a life of freedom and to go in the places that God calls us to, and and to know that our sin is a lesser way of living than the life Jesus can offer us. And today I want to look at at the enslaving nature of sin and what it means that we are set free from our sin. Right? If we've been given freedom, then why? What is the purpose of our freedom? What have we been set free for? Uh, So if you have a Bible with you this morning, uh, turn to the book of Galatians. We're going to be reading starting at chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, and then we're going to be jumping to verses 13 to 18. Uh, If you don't have a Bible here this morning, you can read it up on the text behind us here on the screen. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. We'll jump down to verses 13 to 16 here. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, this this book of Galatians that we're reading from was originally written as a letter by a man named Paul to the believers who were living in Galatia at the time. And the reason he's writing to them is to encourage them to realize that they don't need to continue following the Old Testament law now that they have received salvation and redemption through Jesus, right? They were told by Paul that if they believe that Jesus died and rose again for their salvation that they were set free from their sin, that they were saved, that they didn't need to live by the standards of the law and uphold the Old Testament law in order to be righteous, right? Because the price that the law required was already paid by Jesus. And so instead of being led by the Spirit to the direction the Spirit was leading them, they were going back to being led by the law, following the rules and choosing legalism, right? It was earning their salvation by obeying the law. But the problem is that the price for the salvation had already been paid, right? Jesus paid the price that we could never on our own. And so the Galatians, them going back to following the law, it's only legalism. It's only earning their salvation through obedience to the law. And so they're getting it backwards, right? Their legalism turned something good into something necessary, And that's what legalism does in our lives, right? When we try to live by the law in order to make us good, we turn something that is good into something that is necessary so that we're enslaved to it by necessity, right? Reading our Bibles can even turn from a a good discipline and a practice where we get to know more about who God is to one that if we fail to read our Bibles, then God somehow doesn't love us anymore. And so legalism can turn us from the truth to being enslaved again. And so Paul, seeing that they were going back to their enslavement of the law, of living up to the commands and the duties of the law, he says that they have been set free. They shouldn't need to return to the things that once enslaved them. And throughout the the New Testament, we find this same language, this language of enslavement and freedom, where, where we are set free in Jesus... And yet our sin still somehow enslaves us. But, we can under, but before we can understand the freedom that we've been given, we first need to see that we are enslaved to sin. Right? We can't be set free if we aren't enslaved to something already. And so in this series, we've been walking through the list of the seven deadly sins. And the point of it hasn't been to make us feel guilt or shame about the sins that we've committed Right, about the things we've done wrong, but as Pastor Dustin shared in Acts chapter 3, that we might repent so that our sins may be wiped out and that we may experience times of refreshing from the Lord. To know that our sin is a lesser way of living than anything we could choose to follow in Jesus, through anything we could live in obedience to God, right? That through obedience to Jesus, as we live our, or leave our sin behind, that we can find times of refreshing and freedom. Because sin tempts us to believe that our own ways are better than God's. That living in obedience to our sin is better than living in obedience to Jesus. That's what sin does. It lies to us. And that's its problem. It gets us to believe that we can make our own way without God in life. That we can choose for ourselves what right and wrong is and follow our own sense of morality that way. And so, to satisfy our vengeance at points when we become angry with others, instead of allowing God to take justice... We fulfill our wrath and we let it out upon the other person, right? Or we look to food, relationship, money, all of these things to give us a meaning and a fulfillment that life in Christ is supposed to give us and can only give us there. When we turn to these things, it only makes us worse off in the end. Sin is like drinking seawater, thinking that it's going to satisfy us, right? And in the end, it really only leaves us worse off and more thirsty than we were before. And the ironic thing is that even even though we know it's the wrong choice, even though we know our sin isn't the thing we ought to choose, we still do it. Right? Why? Because we're enslaved. Sin enslaves us. At at the end of C.S. Lewis's book called The Abolition of Man, he, he lists these different sayings and quotes from all these different major religions, and it's just under these different categories. He just lists them side by side and doesn't say anything about them. And as he puts these sayings together from all these different religions, we get this idea that all major religions basically believe the same morality, the same sense of what is good and what is wrong practices in this world. So, for instance, everyone believes that murder is wrong. There's no religion, I don't think, that will tell you that murder is a good thing. Right? All religions, all people even seem to think that we have these ideas of what is right and wrong. Right? Treat people with kindness. Be respectful, don't lie, don't steal, don't rob people. No one, no one argues that violence is a good thing, and even if they did, you can prove them wrong pretty quickly. Slap them in the face. If they don't thank you, then obviously violence is not a good quality, right? Now, I say that is a little bit ridiculous, but it does bring the good point. All of us seem to have this universal conception of what is good behavior and what isn't good behavior. And therefore, we come to the conclusion that the world is in such a bad state that it is because none of us seem to live up to those standards. We all know what's right, but none of us seem to do it. We all seem to know there's a right way to live, but no one does it. We all agree that lying and stealing is wrong, but why do we continue to do these things that we know aren't helpful, aren't beneficial for us, or making the world worse off? Why? Paul says that we're enslaved to our sin. And the way sin enslaves us is twofold, by first making us think that our own way of living is better, and second, by getting us to believe lies about who God is and who we are in him. There's, there's a really cool story, not cool story, there's a great example of this in the book of Numbers. Um, if, you, if you read throughout the Old Testament the story of the Israelites, and particularly when they were enslaved to the Egyptians in Genesis and Exodus, we read of that story, um, we, we see that. This group of people was enslaved to the people of Egypt, and Moses freed them. He led them out of their enslavement to Egypt, through the Red Sea, and into the desert for 40 years where they would wander. And as they're in the desert, if you've read the Old Testament stories, you know that they continue to grumble again, again, and again. And what what they choose to say is, we don't have enough here. At points they run out of food. At points they run out of water. And instead of trusting the God who worked these miracles before them, who parted the sea so that they could walk through it, instead of trusting that God, they wanted to go back to Egypt where life was better. And they complained again and again that they wanted to go back to Egypt. In Numbers chapter 20, verse 5, it says this, The Israelites quarreled with Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Right? They wanted to go back to life in Egypt where it was better, where they had figs and pomegranates, where they had grain. And I hope that if you've read these stories, you've been a little bit confused by that. Right? Think about it for a second. If, if their life in Egypt wasn't better, Right? They were whipped and enslaved. They were beaten. Their children were murdered by the Egyptians. Life wasn't better there. Right? They were abused and put down as a people. Going back to Egypt didn't mean their freedom. It meant annihilation, certain death, right? The Egyptians probably wouldn't have just accepted them as slaves back to their old positions anymore. It certainly would have meant death. And still they seemed to think that that option was better than the places that God was leading them. They even said this, if only we had died with our brothers. They said these things because they were still enslaved, because they were not politically enslaved to Egypt anymore. There was a deeper sense to their enslavement. They were spiritually enslaved. Right? Right, to be a slave means that you have no choice, that you have no options, right? Because you are powerless over something that is your master. And and while their political enslavement was now over, while they were no longer ruled by the Egyptians and oppressed as a nation over them, they were still enslaved spiritually to make decisions that would actually truly benefit them, to make decisions in line with who God is. They're spiritually enslaved to make decisions that only hurt themselves and continue to do so. You see, there's a deeper root to their slavery that taking them out of Egypt wouldn't fix. And you and I have the same spiritual enslavement. It's easy to read the Old Testament and think, man, these guys are idiots. But we have to connect with them on some level and recognize that we are too enslaved to our own sinful nature. We are enslaved to continue making choices and living in ways that only bring us more pain in sin in life. Right? Their spiritual enslavement caused them to think that the only way forward was their way forward, Right? that God couldn't be trusted. So, so when we come back to Paul's letter to the Galatians, he's telling them that they, the way they think is the only right way by obeying the law and by having Jesus is the way to be saved. But Paul's trying to tell them that it's impossible. You can't live up to the standards of the law and be obedient to it in a way that then you will be righteous enough to be saved but still they tried because they believed the lies that jesus's payment for their sin for their salvation wasn't enough right see there there were people telling the galatians there were people coming in and saying these things that they needed to now be circumcised in order to truly have their salvation They still needed to obey the law. That was one of the requirements of the law. That you won't be saved unless you fill in the blank. And I think that all of us have heard these same lies at points in our lives, right? You won't be saved unless you do this or that, right? You don't actually have salvation because you've done this or that, or you're not good enough because you haven't done these good things. It was legalism that the Galatians were tempted with, tempted to believe, because legalism, again, gets us to switch what is good for what is necessary, for what is essential. So when the Spirit invites us to know God more by reading Scripture, legalism says, you need to read the Bible, otherwise you're not good. Right? We are given the freedom in Jesus to love others without expectation, and yet if we fail to love someone, even for a moment we believe the lie that we're somehow not deserving of God's love anymore. We're not accepted. And even in that legalistic mindset, the person who is legalistic, and we all are in points of our lives, I think, but then we look at others who do the things that we avoid and we look on them with suspicion or pity or anger even, insisting that they, they do these good things in order to be good. You and I are slaves to our sin we cannot help but return to our old nature and we are continually at war with our own flesh our own bodies and our sin continues to keep us in this place by getting us to believe lies about who god is or getting us to believe the lie that we aren't set free from our sin that we have to earn our freedom that we have to work for it or we have to be better for it which is why paul writes these words in the book of romans chapter 7 i am unspiritual sold as a slave to sin That's Paul saying that. He wrote most of the New Testament. He's saying, even though he knows the truth of the gospel, that he's a slave to sin, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. He goes on to say, For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law that is at work in the members of my body. I hope you're asking this question a little bit then. What on earth is freedom then? right? Because if we are truly set free from our sin, then why is Paul still going on and saying that he's enslaved to it? Because if I'm truly set free from my sin, then why does it still seem to have control over me at times? Remember that it is for freedom that we have been set free it is for the sake of our own freedom that we are set free. You and I are free and are no longer kept under the burden and weight of sin to continually being enslaved to make bad choices in life. We are free to make choices that benefit us, that draw us closer to God, that bring love and joy and hope within our lives, lives. It's a beautiful freedom. We are free to love others, not in order to receive love, but because we have been loved, that allows us to make choices, to love others without expectation. And how beautiful is the freedom that we have been given without cost. God has loved us enough to not leave us where we're at, but bring us a freedom that allows us to have peace, that allows us to make choices in life again. That is the freedom Paul is talking about. Right? that we are given freedom, we are given now the ability to choose our freedom or to instead go our own way and obey our sin. Right? It's the freedom to choose God or our sin. We have now been set free to make that decision. And as Paul says, not to use our freedom to indulge the sinful nature, to live according to it, because if you do that, you're going to die. If you live by the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Along with our freedom comes the ability to give up our freedom, to run back to the very thing that enslaves us. We must recognize that while we have been freed from our enslavement to sin, we can still choose it. We can still choose our sin as being better over God. That's why Jesus in John chapter 8 says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He says, remain in me, abide in me. So part of the reason we've been set free is so that we have a choice now. We've been set free for the sake of freedom itself, to choose God, not to choose our old sinful nature that only enslaves us and keeps us further away from who we are and who God is in our lives. Paul says that we must use our freedom to love others instead. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. We have been set free for a purpose, for a reason, and that purpose is love. When we understand the freedom that we've been given in Christ, we cannot help but love others. First John 4, verse 11 says, Dear friends, since God loves us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Not only are we given freedom from our sin in Jesus, we are also given the ability then to actually love. Right? Because love is only a commodity of the free. Right? You can't love if you're enslaved because love requires choice. Otherwise, it's an obligation, a command that we have no other choice than to obey. And here's where the enemy often tells us this lie. I thought you were free to do whatever you wanted to do. Why does it seem like you're a slave then still to God, to your righteousness? Why do you have to do all these things if Jesus came to set you free? Our enemy is clever, but he only ever lies. We we see that the the freedom that Jesus offers us is not only just freedom, but along with it, a way to remain in freedom. And that the lie the enemy tells us is that the burden Jesus places on us to follow him, to be living in obedience to him, is too hard for us. That's what the enemy says. We should just live however we want because that's what's really best for us. But that is just our old masters trying to enslave us again to the same things. This is love for God to obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. And yet the enemy gets us to believe the lie that our way is better than the way. That our truth is better than the truth. Our way of life is better than the life. That we can attain freedom for ourselves if we only choose to go our own way. So, when the enemy tells us that living in obedience to God is too difficult for us or painful when he lies to us and says the freedom that we have isn't really freedom, remember these words that Jesus says, "'Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, "'and I will give you rest. "'Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, "'for I am gentle and humble in heart, "'and you will find rest for your souls. "'For my yoke is easy and my burden is light.'" This morning, we, we have the opportunity to remember the great cost of our freedom. We have the chance to lay down our lives once more in obedience to our Savior who laid down his life for you and for me. Right? Our freedom was not cheap. It came at the price of God sending his only son to die on a cross. The payment that you and I deserve to pay is now paid on our behalf with the life of God's own son, and yet that payment was made willingly. We proclaim the Lord's death because it is our freedom. The punishment that brought us peace was put on him. It is by his wounds that we have been healed, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressors like you and for me. As you come forward and take the elements, there's a number of stations throughout the the building or the room here. I'd encourage you to come forward and take the elements. Uh, and come back to your seats and spend a few moments in silence, offering yourself back up to Jesus, maybe renewing your commitment to him or making that commitment for the first time again, but not because it's the right thing to do, not because you should, not because you ought, but because the love that God has for us is so great that it's the only way that we can truly live in freedom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great faithfulness, which is for us Father, thank you that we can rely upon the promises in your word and to know truth, the truth that seems so often outside of ourselves. Father, I pray.